Welcome to this episode of the Bible Readers Podcast. In this episode, we'll be discussing the story of Jacob and Esau in the biblical era of the patriarchs, the second era in salvation history. And we'll be in Genesis 27 to 33, if you're reading along with us. The story of Jacob and Esau is one of betrayal, deceit, but ultimately it's a story of forgiveness. So if you're not already subscribed, go ahead and subscribe to the Bible Readers Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so that you don't miss out on any of our episodes on the Eras of Salvation History. I'm so glad you're joining us today on the Bible Readers Podcast. Follow along with us on this journey through scripture. We are largely skipping the life of Abraham's son, Isaac, and going right into the next major narrative in Genesis, which concerns Isaac's two sons, Jacob and Esau. But before I do that, I want to mention that when Abraham dies, Isaac, the son of promise, and his only son with his wife, Sarah, and Ishmael, the son of Hagar, Sarah's maidservant, come together to bury their father, Abraham. And I think that's an interesting point to mention, because the story of Ishmael and Hagar during the life of Abraham seems largely to be a low point in Abraham's life. But we still eventually see unity come to fruition there. And so Isaac, Abraham's son, has two sons for himself, Jacob and Esau. The two are twins. And while Isaac's wife, Rebecca, is pregnant with the two, she's in great pain because of the movement of the two babies inside her. In fact, she's in so much pain that she brings this up in prayer to God and is given a prophecy. Genesis 25 says, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples born of you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The elder shall serve the younger. When labor begins, the first son is born, and he comes out all red and hairy. So they name his name Esau, which means hairy. And then the second son is born, and he comes out grasping the heel of Esau. So they name him Jacob, meaning to follow behind. The idea of Jacob's name carries a meaning not so much of following, but of supplanting. We can see here the foreshadowing of the fulfillment of the prophecy given to Rebekah, that the elder will serve the younger and the two shall be divided. Jacob, even as an infant, is grasping at the heel of his older brother, seeking to supplant him and to take his place as the carrier of the family name. Now, the story largely revolves around two great gifts that are normally given to the firstborn son, so Esau in this case. The first is the gift of the birthright, and the birthright is the double portion of the inheritance. This was common custom in the ancient world, that you would divide your inheritance into as many children as you had and then add one. And then the oldest son would be given a double portion of that inheritance. So if you had two sons, you would divide your wealth into three portions, and the older would receive two-thirds of the inheritance, and the younger would receive one-third of those possessions. And this was done not merely to favor the older son, but he was also given the responsibility of taking care of the family, and especially his parents in their old age, 
or any difficulties that might arise with the siblings. He had the extra inheritance, so he had the extra responsibilities. That is the birthright. And the other gift is the gift of the blessing. And this is the gift of the promise that was given to Abraham. The son who receives the blessing is the son through whom these promises will be made manifest. So that threefold promise of the great nation, a great name, and the universal blessing will continue on through the son who Isaac gives his blessing to. Now, back to our characters, Jacob and Esau. Esau, we learn, is a skilled hunter, and he's also still exceptionally hairy, while Jacob is an even-tempered man who prefers to stay indoors. And Isaac favors Esau because Esau brings him fresh game, while Rebekah favors Jacob. And that brings us to our first major event between these two brothers. One day, Esau is out hunting, and Jacob has prepared a delicious pot of stew. And when Esau returns, he sees the stew, and he says, Let me eat some of that red stew, for I am famished. And Jacob responds and says that he will feed him, but only at the price of Esau's birthright, the double portion of the inheritance allotted to the eldest son. And Esau agrees to this and thus sells his birthright for a pot of stew. Let's pause here and analyze what we know about these two characters, because this is a strange turn of events. What do we know about Esau? He's extremely hairy. We've covered that. He's a skilled hunter, and he has just sold his birthright for a measly pot of stew. What does that tell us about his personal character? I think we can glean that Esau is impulsive and he's driven by his passions. We know that he's a skilled man in violence. The way the text describes him is actually kind of more like a wild animal. Think about it. He's covered in thick hair and his decision-making process is entirely in the here and now. I'm hungry now and will give anything simply for a pot of stew. Now, what can we tell about Jacob? Well, we know he's subversive. He's been grasping at the heel of his brother since the time they were in utero. And he knows his brother. He knows the wild impulsiveness of Esau. So he's calculated in his swing for the birthright. I think if Esau gives off a picture of a wild, animal-like, impulsive man, Jacob is the master manipulator, ready to grab what he's been waiting to grasp all this time. So Esau has neglected his birthright and sold it to Jacob for a pot of stew. But what about the blessing? Well, Isaac is an old man and knows that his life is coming to an end. He's blind and advanced in years, so he decides that the time has come for the blessing of God to be passed on to his son Esau. So he tasks Esau with hunting some game for a ritual meal, wherein the covenant that God made with Abraham will be passed on to him. So Esau goes out to hunt and prepare. 
but Rebecca is listening and she favors Jacob. So she tells Jacob to quickly prepare some food and bring it to Isaac, who, being blind, will think he is Esau and give Jacob the blessing by mistake. And Jacob's one objection to this is that when Isaac feels his skin, he will know that he is not Esau and will incur a curse instead of a blessing. But Rebekah has a plan for this too. Jacob will wear a goat skin on his arms to mimic the feeling of Esau. This tells you just how mangy Esau is if his arms feel the same as goat skin. Well, his plan works to perfection. And Isaac bestows the blessing on Jacob rather than Esau. And now Jacob owns the birthright and the blessing. He's been grasping at the heel of his brother Esau his entire life. And now he has finally, totally supplanted him. But the story doesn't end there. Remember that the author of Genesis is bringing us along as the characters embark on a journey of faith, and the story of Jacob is no different. What have we seen from Jacob so far? Well, we've seen him be pretty manipulative. We've seen him deceive his father. We've seen him take from his brother. And that's not to say that Esau is blameless in this. Esau is a wild man. He is not wise. He is not careful. We learned that he has taken multiple wives from among other peoples who do not worship God. Esau is no saint, but Jacob has taken advantage of this and subverted his brother. Now, when Esau returns from his hunt to bring food to his father, he discovers what has happened and he goes into a fit of rage, seeking to kill Jacob. And so Rebekah sends Jacob to her brother Laban's house far away. And this is where the story turns. Jacob is on the run. He has not been a kind brother. He's manipulated and subverted, subverted Esau out of the birthright and the blessing. And now he's wandering away from home, just like Cain. But it is in this moment that Jacob has his first encounter with the God of his forefathers. In a dream, God comes to him. Genesis 28 writes, Jacob left Beersheba and went to Haran. And he came to a certain place and he stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed that there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your descendants. And your descendants shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And by you, all, and, by you and your descendants shall all the families of the earth bless themselves. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done that of which I have spoken to you. Doesn't that sound familiar? That's the same promise given to Abraham, that through him all of the families of the earth would bless themselves. 
And why does God choose this moment? Because it's here that God is remembering Jacob, just like he did with, with Noah. You may recall that when we discussed Noah, this idea of God's remembrance is not something merely psychological, but literally a remembering, a rejoining. Jacob is about to go through a whole lot of trouble and hardship. And God is telling him that through all of it, God's promise remains. So Jacob awakens and sets out on his way, dedicated to bringing about this promise given to him by God. And he comes to a well. And this is a common scene in biblical literature. Who do you find at the well? Women. Jacob sees a beautiful woman named Rachel, who happens to be the daughter of Laban, his uncle. And so Jacob has successfully found his way. And he offers himself to Laban for hire. And when Laban asks what he requires for payment, Jacob replies that he only wants Rachel as a bride. And to this, Laban agrees. And they settle on seven years of labor for Rachel. And it's here that we should mention that Rachel has an older sister, Leah, who's not beautiful, and Jacob does not love her. But it is the custom of the people to marry the daughters in order from oldest to youngest, but it seems that the mention of this is left out of the deal by Laban. And so Jacob completes his service. He works for Laban for seven years, and the text states that the years seemed as only a few days because of the love which he held for Rachel. And when the seven years are up, Jacob demands his payment and a wedding ceremony is held. But Laban veils Leah for the wedding and Jacob does not notice. And so mistakenly proclaims his vows to Leah and not Rachel, whom he intended to marry. And when Jacob realizes this the next day, he angrily approaches Laban and now Laban takes the time to explain the marriage custom and demands seven more years of service from Jacob for Rachel's hand in marriage. So bound by love, Jacob agrees and works for seven more years for Rachel's hand in marriage. Do you see how the tables have turned on Jacob? He began this story as the deceiver. And now he himself is being deceived. 14 years of his life have passed since he met God on that road and heard those promises. And here he is working for his uncle, tricked into over a decade of servitude. One more detail to mention about Leah here. Jacob does not love her and God sees how Jacob despises her as a wife. And so God opens her womb. She bears many children to Jacob, but Rachel owns Jacob's heart, but she is barren. The years pass. Jacob's children begin to grow older, and he realizes that it is time to return home. He's tended over the flocks of Laban for a decade and a half, and under his care, Laban's possessions have grown, and along with that, so have Jacob's. He has truly become a prosperous man with many children and great wealth. This seems to be evidence of the promise and the blessing of God. But Jacob is not home. 
He's not with his kinsmen, and he has not reconciled with his brother. It's time for him to go home. I love what the author does here. We see the character development of Jacob over the course of this story through his trials with Laban. We see how Jacob transforms from a manipulative, deceiving brother into a faithful, honest man. And when he goes to return home, we, the readers, can see the new Jacob. But we have not seen Esau since Jacob left. So when Jacob sets off on his return journey, there are a lot of unanswered questions about Esau. Is he still the violent, wild man that we knew previously? Is he still seeking revenge upon his brother for stealing the blessing? Or has he forgiven Jacob and developed as a man himself just like Jacob did? These questions the author intentionally leaves unanswered as a way to build tension in the narrative. The author of Genesis is really a gifted storyteller. And as Jacob is traveling, he divides up his possessions and his family, keeping those closest to him with him. And he does this in case Esau is still set on revenge. Maybe he'll have some warning of it from the party that first approaches Esau. But while Jacob is alone one night, something mysterious happens. Genesis 32 says this, And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and Jacob's thigh was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no more be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, tell me, I pray your name. But he said, why is that you ask me my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his thigh. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the sinew of the hip, which is upon the hollow of the thigh, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh on the sinew of the hip. So, amazingly, Jacob wrestles with God. What could possibly be the meaning of this? Why is God unsuccessful at defeating Jacob in this wrestling match? Why are they wrestling in the first place? Why does God change Jacob's name? This really is a strange passage, but I think the key here can be seen in the changing of Jacob's name to Israel. Israel, which will become the name of Jacob's people, the Jews, and of course, the nation of Israel today, the only Jewish nation in the world. And it means one who wrestles with God. Here's what the Navarre Bible commentary says about this name. It says this, this name shows one of the key features of the personality of the father of the chosen people, his struggle to hold on to God trying to discover his name and obtain his blessing. This is also a defining feature of the religious nature of the people of God. 
We discover the significance of Jacob's attempt to discover the name of his rival and all that implied as regards having some power over him. But God does not identify himself. He remains shrouded in mystery, yet he does give Jacob his blessing. This will also be a feature which should define Israel, the continuous search for the name of God, that is, for his innermost being and his mystery, yet realizing that God can never be encompassed within the meaning of any name. Jacob is striving for God, striving to wrap his arms around him. The grasper, Jacob, who has been manipulating all his life, cannot manipulate God. He cannot pin him down. God remains mysterious, and the encounter with God leaves Jacob limping for the rest of his life. Yet, God blesses Jacob. He rewards Jacob's pursuit with blessing. This is a profound moment. And Jacob limps away from there to meet his brother. Genesis says, And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and four hundred men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids, and he put the maids with their children in front, and then Leah with her children and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him, And fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau raised his eyes and saw the women and the children, he said, Who are these with you? And Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the maids drew near, and they they and their children bowed. Leah likewise and their children drew near and bowed down. And last Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. And Esau said, What do you mean by all this company which I met? And Jacob answered, To find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. At last, reconciliation. We've not seen how or why, but we do see that Esau is also not the same man as when he and Jacob were last together. This is the story of forgiveness, growth in faith, and a story about seeking God. Just like Jacob, we often strive with God to grasp him and pin him down. We seek to know his name. But as God reveals himself, he delves his identity further and deeper into mystery. And that's one of the marvelous things about God's revelation of himself. The more God reveals, the more mysterious he becomes. The more we maneuver to lock him in our grip, the more he shifts and remains hidden. And this calls us deeper and deeper into the mystery of the name of God. Thanks for joining us this week on the Bible Readers Podcast. A new episode of the Bible Readers Podcast is released every other Monday. Next time, we'll be reading Genesis 34 to 50. So if you're following along with us, be sure to read that beforehand. If you enjoyed this episode, I ask that you kindly subscribe and rate us on whatever podcast app you use. It greatly helps get our content out out to others. Thanks again for joining us on this episode of the Bible Readers Podcast.